I'm Ari Meglin here with Rachel Pauley and we're your hosts for the Merry Writer podcast. We are on episode 19 and this week's question is how do you manage your time as a full-time writer? Before we begin don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening so you never miss a show. If you enjoy our episode please give it a like. So today we welcome our new guest on the show author Devon Ellington. Devon thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to be here. It's lovely. It's lovely having you on. <laughs> Since we talk pretty much every day on Twitter, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think you're one of our first Twitter players as well to the, uh, to the, the, the Merry Writer hashtag Twitter game for all those who are like, what are they talking about? <laughs> I think you're one of our early ones. Yeah, I've been doing it for a while now. It's I a know. fun game. It's been great to get to know people. <laughs> it, just, it just had its second, its second birthday. In this month. <laughs> it's like it's been going for so long I just can't believe it <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy how how long it's been I feel like it's just been just a couple of months but two years yeah I didn't realize time. it was two years so it's yeah yeah, yeah. It, especially because like I, I don't know how we managed to keep coming up with these questions these weird <laughs> questions a lot of people keep yelling at us about as well it's like this is a horrible question so like, <laughs> no it's good because they make you think you can't just flip off an answer you have to actually think about it <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's why even I skip some days answering the own, my own question. Yeah. I have to admit, I, I don't think I've answered any of the questions for a while now. It's like, I think just, just building them up and then creating all the graphics and then interacting with everyone else. Yeah. It's like, I don't have time to th even think about the answers for what I, yeah. <laughs> I want to put. Yeah. Go in spurts. <laughs> okay, so today's question is, how do you manage your time as a full-time writer? Firstly, Devon, how long have you been a full-time writer? I went completely full-time in 2010 when I moved from New York City to Cape Cod. From 2007 to 2010, I was part-time writing and I was still part-time working on Broadway. And before that, I, I was writing part-time, sometimes full-time, depending between shows, but I was working full-time in the theater. So it's been 10 years full-time. Wow. You worked on Broadway? Yeah, I was a dresser on Broadway for a long time. <laughs> Oh well, my not a long time, 12 years. <laughs> 12 years, yeah. Yeah, I, I was on, my first Broadway show was the original production of Miss Saigon. I was on it for the last five years of the 10-year run. Wow. And then I was on the first three and a half years of Wicked, and I worked on Rent. I was a sub on Rent, a swing on Bernadette Peters' version of Gypsy. I was on Follies. I was on all kinds of shows. <laughs> I am blown away right now. <laughs> Spring Awakening was awesome. my last Broadway, the last Broadway show. That, I that is incredible. It was so much fun. Yeah, I started working in theater professionally when I was 18 years old, when I was in college. And I just kept, I moved, I moved to the West Coast for a while. I worked in San Francisco and Seattle in regional theater. And then I moved back and I worked my way up from off-off Broadway to off-Broadway to Broadway. Whoa. So. <laughs> <laughs> and while I was working in theater, I was also writing and I started writing plays because that was back in the 90s when there weren't a lot of monologues for women. And so actresses were really frustrated because they couldn't find monologues. So I started by writing monologues for actresses who were going out on auditions. And then whenever they used my monologues, they would get the job. So then I started writing scenes and plays. And then my plays were done in England and in Australia. And I was at the Edinburgh Festival twice and at the Adelaide Festival. And so, you know, and was I was writing prose at the same time so it sort of all snowballed and then when I, I knew it was time to leave theater you know I was like well I'm just gonna write full time so yeah. I did wow <laughs> 
a lot of what I learned in the theater has really served me well as a writer because, you know, that discipline and the determination. And if you're going to make it to Broadway, you have to have a certain amount of ruthlessness because, you know, theater doesn't work around life. Life works around theater when you're at that level. The theater is the main focus of your life. You don't get to say, oh, I don't feel like going in today. Oh, you know, I want to go hang out with my friends. You know, it's you have to be there because the show is going to go on. And with the stakes as high as they are on Broadway, Broadway with the amount of money and the talent and everything if you don't step up every night you're gone wow. so and that serves really well in writing too because you have to show up every day and make a commitment especially if that's the way you were living you have to do the work you have to show up and do the work and you have to bring it to a level you have to bring your a game pretty much every day wow that's as, as you said the idea that the discipline from Broadway was it was moved over to the writing and I mean, we've 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 spoken to you before on Twitter, and I have seen the sort of like the work level you have, and it's incredible. And I always wondered, like, how do you have such incredible discipline? Because you do so much. You, I've seen the book titles you have. I know you have other work you write. You just seem to do so much. And I just I don't know how you do it. It's incredible. Yeah, it, it is. There is a real level of discipline because you know Broadway is eight shows a week. You have one day a week off. It's not you know you don't get weekends and you're working nights you're working weekends you're working holidays because your profession is to give people entertainment so when other people aren't working you are working plus you're also working when they're working because you prepare during the day you know you're in there during the day preparing the clothes the stitchers are there doing repairs you're bringing new people into the show and rehearsing them as a dresser if there were shows you know if they were doing talk shows or making appearances I would be traveling with them if they were in costume is so a broadway week is about 90 hours a week that's your basic your show is four hours and you're there an hour and a half before showtime and you're there for a while after the show because you have to get your actors out of costume and you have to get everything through the laundry and all of that but you're you know it's a very long week especially on two show days and there was normal on a two show day where i would be in there at nine or ten in the morning and get home about one and you know one the next i wouldn't go out (laughs) (laughs) well i mean that's one of the reasons to leave too i wanted to leave before you know i was aging out of it. You know, I'm not 20 anymore. It's fine when you're in your 20s and 30s. But I mean, you know, it doesn't it does a number on your knees. Those theaters are old and the steps backstage are concrete. And you're running up and down the stairs with baskets of clothes. And for instance, in Wicked, the costumes are about 40 pounds piece. So you're doing quick changes in under 30 seconds. You're taking actors out of a 40 pound costume into another 40 pound costume. There's a lot of lifting going on. There's, it's very, very physical. And there's a certain point in your life where you just go, okay, I don't want I don't want to do that kind of physicality all the time or mm. I can't do it anymore you know my knees are hurting my back is hurting <laughs> I want something a little easier <laughs> I want to use my brain more you know? so, wow but I you know I miss the camaraderie backstage and I miss because you just you spend more time with the people in your show than anyone else in your life and we used to joke and miss Saigon you know for the first year or so after the show closed that we missed the people we didn't like as much as we missed the people we liked because we were so used to each other. Because, you know, we spent birthdays together and holidays together. And we were always decorating backstage. And on Saigon, you know, everybody was working on other projects. And we all had shows that we were writing and performing in 
that were, you know, midnight performances down in Greenwich Village, or, you know, somebody had a band and they were at a bar. So we were also always going out and supporting each other's work and being creative and reading each other's material and commenting. And it was, yes, the show was our main focus, but because the show was running so long and we were in a rhythm, there was also this great creativity that came out of being together in a creative process. So everybody's creativity was also nurtured during the show backstage. So it was a wonderful experience. Yeah, that sounds lovely. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. You know, and Cameron McIntosh, who was the producer of it, Cameron started backstage. He was a prop guy. So you couldn't get anything by him. You know, when he came back to check on the show, your best bet was always to be absolutely honest with him. Because when you were honest with him, even if he didn't want to hear it, he appreciated it. But if you tried to put something over on him, he could get you right away. <laughs> so, so I really enjoyed working with him a lot. I really, really liked it. Oh, oh that's lovely. So obviously you went from such a very, very busy life to a still quite a busy life as a full-time, a full-time writer. I mean, is there any like main takeaways that you think if you want to if you want to manage as a full time writer, you definitely need this? Is there something like that? You need to show up and do the work even on the days you don't feel like it, <laughs> because so often you know you know writers are like, oh yeah, I don't feel like writing today. And I mean, you have to plan days off or you're going to burn out. Because if yeah. you just if you just are writing, 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 and you never take a break, you're going to kill yourself. You know, it's just it's you're going to burn out your brain, you're going to burn out your body. But if you're going to make a living at this, if this is going to be your profession, you have to show up regularly and do the work. And you're not always going to feel like it. And I mean, there are plenty of days when I don't feel like it, but I show up, you know, I do my first thousand words first thing in the morning. And, it, you know, sometimes those first, first 400 words are like pulling teeth, you know, or going through molasses. But once I get into it a little bit, then it starts to flow again, and then I can get it done. And then that leads to, if I can get my first thousand words of fiction out of the way first thing in the morning then the rest of the day falls into place depending on deadline and contract and it's much easier to attack that because I've already put myself in the rhythm of it that makes sense the idea of a thousand words in the morning it's like I mean I, I really need to try harder then <laughs> but as you said, it's a job isn't it and I mean it's, it's it's a it's a career it's something you love doing but just because you love being right doesn't mean it's not a job in its sense and if you had a job right. with a boss you would be able to go oh, I don't feel like doing it today yeah, exactly. You know, and, and I'm lucky because a lot of what I, especially now with the pandemic and all, I, I can really be insistent on working remotely. One of the problems with the local, working locally here is people don't believe it's work unless you're in their office, which has been very frustrating as a writer because I work better in my home office where I can control the surroundings and the interruptions. And, you know, you're going to have interruptions, but I would rather have them at home than in an office because somebody else is bored and doesn't feel like doing what they're supposed to be doing so they're interrupting me and I can't do what I need to <laughs> oh, we've all been I really, there. <laughs> yeah yeah I mean I'm, I'm not fond of the office environment and that's one reason I went into theater in the first place was I started temping you know when I was 16 you know working for temp agencies and whenever I had school vacation or whatever to earn some money towards college and for traveling because I've always liked traveling and I learned very very early on that I was not going to stay in an office all my life and while I've done temp jobs and and other jobs where I have worked in offices, especially nonprofits. Uh, in New York for a while, I was the administrator for the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation, which was fascinating because I got to work with directors and choreographers and, you know, and we did grant programs and training programs and all kinds of stuff, but it was still in an office and eventually I left. You have had <laughs> such a full life. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so no wonder I'm tired right now. <laughs> 
that's, that's amazing how that's how you got started. Like yeah. for me personally, I was a teacher and as much as I miss it, I just couldn't, I couldn't do the physical part of it anymore because mm-hmm. you're chasing your toddlers all day and yeah, you're on the ground all day. So similar, yours sounds much busier than mine, but similar in a way. And I just, I couldn't yeah. listen to a boss anymore. Yeah, exactly. And I, the really, really good, talented actors with the strong long-term careers tend to be the easiest to work with, but there are plenty of the actors who are going to be, you know, have a couple of shows and then get out of it and they're the ones you are running after them like toddlers all the time (laughs) because they just you know sometimes they get their being in touch with their inner child mixed up with being a child so Uh, (laughs) and also as a dresser you know you have that very very close relationship with your actors because you're in the dressing room with them you're changing their clothes you know you you have to have physical contact with them they have to trust you completely to know that they're absolutely safe with you and that they can go come running off the stage at full speed and you'll catch them and you'll, you'll strip them down and put them in the right piece of clothing and get them back out and they won't feel uncomfortable with any of that physicality. Yeah. So there's a lot of trust and there's a lot of intimacy a special kind of intimacy in that particular role where other that other roles in the theater don't really have with the actors. Oh, it's, it's things you just don't even think about. Yeah, it's just, yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh. So, so obviously in with Broadway, you obviously have very specific timings. So it's like, this happens, mm-hmm. this happens, this happens. But obviously you're when you're a writer and you're a, a full-time writer on your own, where you're at home in your own office, that means you're managing your own time, your own deadlines, your own, this has to be done at yep. this time. How do you manage that the best to keep you on track so that you use all of your day if that's how you do it have you you know how you use a very large calendar (laughs) you know like a desk like those desktop blotter calendars oh right yeah yeah i still use those old-fashioned calendars because i've never had an electronic calendar that didn't fail me when i needed it so i keep it pen and paper (laughs) And I usually do projects in different colors. So I associate the project with the color and then I can see on the, you know, whatever day I need to be working on it. And, you know, for some clients, like I have one client and she's a clothing designer and I do her marketing for her and I work for her 14 hours a week. And I usually work for her Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays. Those are my days. I spend, you know, four to five hours a day on her work. Mm-hmm. And then I have an article that I'm doing for 2022 Almanac that's due this September because we work two years ahead. So I just got the contract, even though we've been talking about it for a couple of months. So this week I'm going to start doing that because that's due in September 3rd. And I would like to get it to my editor in August because I have a lot of stuff going on in fall. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, you know, and then you have, I have the book deadlines and I have to talk to my editor and then sometimes things don't work and you need to do edits and it takes longer. And sometimes you just look at the edit and it may, you know what you need to do, but you can't get there mm-hmm. right away. So then you have to do something else or I do some yoga or I take a walk or, you know, trying to stay away from people right now. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'm an introvert anyway, so I don't mind being home alone. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's oh, not yeah. a problem. <laughs> not socializing is not a problem. <laughs> We've been preparing for this our whole lives. Let's be <laughs> exactly, exactly. Exactly. This is our time. You know, we know how to deal with this. No, you know, and I'm lucky because I have a yard and I have a deck at the house and it's a covered deck with skylights so I can work out there if I want because sometimes just changing where you physically write makes a big difference because, you know, if you're stuck in one location, you start, every time you go to that location, you start associating 
that feeling stuck with the location. So if you switch your location, then you can get, get whatever stuck moving again. That's a really good point. Because I know they say, you know, you set up, especially if you're doing any sort of work from home, you set up a specific location that's supposed to get you in the mood to work. So they always say, you know, get dressed. It doesn't matter if you're working from home. If you need that, put on proper work clothes, not just in your jamas. Although I, I admit, I do often just feel like I'm just wearing my jamas. I don't care. But you put it on and then you set up and it gives you like that mindset of, right, it's time to work. But as you said, if you get stuck, then that mm-hmm. mindset of, I am stuck, I am stuck, just sort of rotates around. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I have little places that I nest all over the house where I like to work. So, and you can tell because there's there's stacks of books and papers next to all of these little places, and I sort of migrate around. <laughs> That's not a bad idea, though. I mean, I know I'll I'll go from my office to my bedroom, or sometimes I'll go outside on the deck. It it all depends on the day. Yeah, and some days you really want to be at that officey type of space, and that makes you feel more productive. And other days you just look at it and it feels too much like being ev- with everything you left. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. So it's like, okay, let's I'm working remotely. I'm I'm doing this so so that I can be at my most productive. So what is that gonna be? And that's also gonna change. That's gonna change as your life changes. You know, it's going to change as you age, it's going to change as you work on different types of projects. You know, there's still some some types of fiction. I let still like to do the first draft in longhand because I think better that way and it needs less editing. Wow. Whereas if something is on a tight deadline and if it's an article I'll do it right into the computer because it's quicker to get it done and to get it edited yeah wow I am always amazed when I hear anyone does like, even a short story in longhand my handwriting is awful first of all I, oh, so I, is mine yeah I should I should have been a doctor but not smart enough <laughs> apparently you can't just get through with bad handwriting but then my hand would cramp really badly so after like three pages like oh it's not working yeah. so yeah. oh the fact that people do like fully write manuscripts by hand it's like, oh, yeah. can't go <laughs> yeah very often that, that first thousand page that first thousand words in the morning is in longhand because it's only four pages so you know that's oh still still yeah. <laughs> it's pretty easy to get that going and that <laughs> She says. And then, and then when I try to type it up, it's like, what did I mean? <laughs> yeah. I started when I go in longhand, when I first write somebody's name, I do it sort of like you do in a script. I do it all in capital letters, printed, yeah. so that I know how I wrote the name. <laughs> and I, I, can, I can get it proper when I'm typing it. And I also try to type every three chapters if I write in longhand, because if you wait until the whole, you know, until you've got 300 pages in longhand, it's just overwhelming. So every three chapters I I put it in the computer. It's <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Good plan though. But wow. I do I do agree with you when you say that writing longhand first, it takes out a little bit of the editing because I've done chapters longhand and then when I type it up, I catch all my spelling errors. Yes. So you make typos when you longhand too. Yeah. It's not just on the computer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But because physically it takes longer to write the words, you have more of a chance to think through the sentence as you write it. True. And, and I find it needs less editing. Whereas, you know, if I do a first draft into the computer, it's going to need a lot more editing because I'm just blah, 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 instead of really thinking about the sentences. That's a good point. And I like the physicality of writing too. I just, I really like that physicality. Yeah, that's tend- satisfying about handwriting. Yeah, where there's something, you know, my back and my neck start to hurt after a while at the computer. I find I have to get up and move around a lot more at the mm. computer. Mm. Maybe it's my chair, but... <laughs> 
I have not been able to get into the standing desk and you know they they had this whole thing where you they said oh yeah well you know you sit on the the ball you know the exercise ball it's like no I fell right off no <laughs> <laughs> I just bounce. I'd just be like, yay, this is fun. And I get nothing done. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be one big distraction. Yeah. <laughs> I have to admit my partner has a standing desk, but rather than the weird exercise ball, he has like a, a thick, weird squidgy cushion mat. So he actually stands, the desk lifts up and then he can stand. Uh -huh. So he'll do it for a few hours and then he'll put it down. I like the idea of it. I just, don't, yeah. I'd be like, yeah, I'll do it later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard enough getting out of the chair sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned something. You said how you're, you, you, you needed something to be done by September and you're hoping to get it done by August. Do you often do that, try and keep like well ahead of your deadlines? Yes, I do. I do because you never know what's going to get thrown at you like if there's life stuff like I you know I had had the two surgeries in the last in the last four months I've had two surgeries mm -hmm. and so you know I was trying to work ahead well they were both supposed to be done earlier in the year but one got done right before everything shut down and then one had to be done as things were reopening so I was trying to work ahead from that and because you know I have no idea what September's going to be we could all be shut down again even worse here in the United States the way the cases are going I mean we're going to be up to a hundred thousand new cases is a day pretty soon at this rate and if if they do shut us down again it's going to be i think a much stricter shutdown before like massachusetts we just had the stay at home but some other states had where you could only be off your property one hour a day and i think that that's where we're headed into the much stricter unless they get their act together and really do it i mean we're lucky in massachusetts because we you know we did a lot of testing and our governor worked with andrew cuomo in new york so the new england states are in a much better shape although the way they've reopened and all the tourists coming in our numbers on the cape are starting to go back up again because the tourists are coming in and they're not following any of the protocols and they don't care you know they're not wearing masks what do they care they you know they're supposed to quarantine for 2 weeks they're not doing that. They come in for the weekend. You know, they run around, they infect everybody and they leave. So, <laughs> so I just stay home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the nice thing about already working from home when all of this happened, because our routines, while they did get disrupted, yeah. they didn't change too much. Right. But with that said, when a curveball does get thrown at you, and even if you're ahead on your deadlines and stuff, if something comes up and you need to stop working for a little while, mm -hmm. what do you, what do you do? If it's for somebody else, you know, if I'm on a deadline for somebody else, I let them know right away what's going on because keeping the communication open. For instance, the week that I was in all of the emergency tests before I had the first emergency surgery in February was the week I broke into the writer magazine for the first time. I've been trying to get an assignment from them for years and they, they assigned me an article and they needed it by the end of that week. And that was the week that I was in tests every day at the hospital going into my surgery. Oh my God. So I told them what was going on. I got them the draft of the article four days before my surgery. And I told them, you know, this is the date of my surgery. And if you have revisions, I'm not going to be able to do it until next week. And they were really cool about it. And there were, you know, they sent me, they sent me the edits, I think the day of my surgery. And I was like, yeah, well, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> I'll see you next week, honey. Uh, but I mean, it was, the, the edits were so minor that it wasn't a big deal. And the fact that 
that I had been open with them and let them know what was going on. They were very supportive and helpful. And another editor where I do regular assignments for her, I had let her know. And so finished everything up for her. And then I had like two weeks before my next assignment. And she was just like, oh, okay, are you ready for the next one? Are you feeling up to it? So it's all of that. But it's just communication, communication, communication. Mm -hmm. And because some of it isn't going to get done. And it's like, okay, this is as much as I can do. You know, I took two full weeks off from, you know, one of my my marketing clients because I was like, I can't physically be in the office. And this was before the, the stay at home, but I was already trying to do more from home anyway. And what the stay at home proved that there's nothing that I do in the office that I can't do better from home. So but it's it's just it's communication communication and when I communicated and told them what was going on I already had suggestions for solutions to make it work I didn't expect them to come up with the solutions ah that's a good point yeah so you it's not just like oh this is this is happening it's kind of oh this is happening and here's some extra things to help out with it not exactly and here's some suggestions do these work for you do we what do we need to adjust you know and offering them as suggestions saying this is as much as i can do this is what i see my schedule as being how do we work this out because if it becomes a collaborative and you offer some solutions then they're more likely to work with you you are so organized like seriously like scary organized so that comes from being a production manager in theater and film where it's like you know running a military operation (laughs) (laughs) so you mentioned communication so if you're going to be a full-time writer and you're going to be your own boss what are some qualities that and skills you need to do that organization you have to have systems that work for you that get the work done whether it's scheduling you know some people like to do lists some people like to block times for certain activities some people you know some people like more structure some people like less structure so you have to find what kind of a system works for you you have to be a clear communicator you have to be honest in your communications you know it's okay to say that you don't know it's okay to say you can't do something but always try to offer suggestions for solutions instead of expecting the other party to always come up with all of the solutions. Personal development, you know, learn as much as you can, spend time with other writers, spend time talking to other people who do both what you do now and what you want to do in the future. Because, you you know, maybe you're doing SEO, marketing writing now, but that's not what you want to do. You would rather be writing articles for magazines. So start following magazine writers on Twitter, read their work, start talking to them about it. Go to classes or conferences online now, but, you know, online or in person and see how they did it. Read the magazines. What are, what are the editors looking for? Keep talking to editors. Keep looking for new publications that have a decent reputation. Don't do free samples. I'm big on that. (laughs) Because when you pitch, very often, especially for content marketing, writing and things like that, they're like, you know, you have your portfolio and they're like, oh yeah, well, you know, here's, you have to write this as a test sample. And my response is, this is how much the test sample costs. And they're like, well, we need to know that you're the right fit. It's like, well, that's why I have a portfolio. Well, we can't tell from that. And then it's like, well, that's on your lack of analytical skills, not on my lack of samples. So if you want me to write something that's specific to your company, you're going to have to pay me for it, whether you continue to hire me beyond this or not. That is a boundary that too many writers refuse to hold. And that's why they're 
there are so many people who aren't getting paid. Yeah, yeah. You know, because all these, a lot of these companies are basically, you know, the content mills have rebranded themselves as, as content agencies. Oh, we're agencies. We find you the clients, but we're only going to pay you a dollar an article. But we want you to work for free and, you know, to start to prove that you're good enough. And then they take the content and then they change their name and then they're selling the content that you wrote and didn't get paid for. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's getting worse now because so many people are unemployed. So the predators are really out there. You know, you have to. To really learn how to read the ads i think that's it anything with creativity there's always people out there who seem to think that they owe they're owed free stuff it's like yes. well you know just write this story for us it's it, it's for your portfolio it's like no i don't think so it's like if i want to add it to my portfolio i don't need to create it for free for you to use it whenever you want I mean, they do exactly. it with, with artists, they do it with musicians. Yes. It's like, you know, free, put, you know, put your music on free or create this logo. It'll be an advertisement for your ability. It's like, no, money. Yeah. Money is what that person deserves because they worked hard to create that. Right. When they say, oh, you're doing this for exposure, you know, I've started to say, you know what? People die of exposure. Give me the cash. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love that. I love that. <laughs> My friend Gail is the one who actually came up with that. She's a fellow dresser. Oh she was the first one who said that, you know, when I was complaining about that. And I was like, Gail, I'm using that for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. You know, people think that because you be so many people hate their jobs mm-hmm. and they resent anybody who loves their jobs. So they're like, well, you know, because you love creating, you forfeit you the right to get paid. That's like, no, I don't. I yeah. don't. I don't work for you if you don't pay me. That's, you know, working, <laughs> working doesn't work now. You wouldn't ask a doctor to work without pay. You wouldn't ask the plumber to work without pay. <laughs> pay the guy who mows your lawn, so you're going to pay me. Exactly. And it's as if the doctor doesn't love his job or the mechanic doesn't love their job. Or, right. I mean, there's, there's people who absolutely love working on old cars, but you won't be like, come on, you do it for your portfolio. Fix my car and fix that car. Exactly. And it's like, no. yeah, exactly. Mm. And that's something that writers really have to be strong about. Yeah. Which is difficult. It's very difficult, especially the, you know, the writers who are doing this part-time and who have day jobs and who don't count on the income from their creativity to pay the bills. Yeah. And it's like, well, the, how very nice of you that you have the luxury to create, but the, you know, what you're doing every time, you know, a part-time writer does this because they don't need it to pay their bills. They're hurting the whole profession. And they're pulling down everybody who's trying to make a living at it, who's working really hard, because they're telling the companies that it's okay not to pay or to pay, or it's okay to pay a low rate. And it's not. No. There's certainly businesses around here, and I don't shop there because their their marketing is so bad, you know? And their whole thing, you know, I've run into them at, at all these, you know, the meetings and the chambers and everything. And they're like, oh, we don't pay for marketing. And it's like, well, yeah, that's painfully obvious. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love how open and honest you are. I really do. <laughs> I've earned it through the, through the decades. <laughs> the thing is, there's so many like young writers coming up now, and you don't want them to think that it's the norm to give everything for free. I mean, like Rachel and I both create blogs, and we have information and tutorials and things like that on there which is fine because that's the information we are happy to give away for free but if you know if we put any of those articles or if we build articles into a book if we decide to charge for certain like 
uh, I create a lot of like printables and everything and I have a set that's free for people who's on my blog but then there's a, a, a another set that's more only for my newsletter subscribers yeah and then I'm gonna have some more that are for sale and it's like mm-hmm. yeah um, but yeah I've had people say well I don't want to join the newsletter I want but I want that that printable it's like well no that's specifically for people who are on you know that's the, the right. benefit of being on there and then the next one is like that's a charge one that's what I charge people for mm-hmm. it's like well I, I don't want to pay that why can't I get it for free you've already given me some for free it's like yeah I've already given some for free why do you exactly. need more for free it's, exactly uh, yeah, and and it's a business. This is a business, not a hobby. Yes. You go in, you know, you don't go in, if you go into the store and you say, "I want this for free," and walk out with three dresses, you're going to be in jail. <laughs> so I don't want to so pay. Guess what, sweetie? <laughs> <laughs> and you you can't get it. To, you know, and that's why piracy hurts people so badly too. You know, these pirating sites that you know really need to be shut down. People who are like, well, you know, it should all be for free. No, it shouldn't. This is a profession. Well, you know, I can get it for free at the library. It's like, yeah, libraries pay. Yeah. You know, I worked in a library. I had a book buying budget. I bought books. They yeah. Just, they, and, don't, they don't realize that, that it is, it's not, yes, you get it for free, but you don't get it because you have to take it back. Yeah. It's training people and, you know, and you can't have everything you want and you can't have it in this instant. And there are some things you need to pay for mm-hmm. and that's life and grow up. <laughs> <laughs> And young writers, I think, also need to be taught to value themselves. Yes, you have to pay your dues to a certain extent. And yes, you know, in school, there are going to be certain, you know, you, you, you pay to work at school <laughs> to get your degree. But once you're out of school, then start charging for your work mm-hmm. and build on that and work on your craft. I mean, you know, a content mill that pays you a couple of dollars an article is not going to let you work on your craft because they want it fast and they want it cheap. Yeah. You know, so it's just a case. And there are always going to be a lot of people that fall away. And also what we write is not for everybody. You know, there are plenty of people where they start, well, you should write. And it's like, no, I shouldn't write. If you want to write it, you should write it. (laughs) Well, you should write it. And, you know, and I'll talk it and I'll split the profits with you. And I'm like, honey, honey, here's my agent's number. And we start, you know, have a, you know, have, have a deposit of $10,000 on her desk tomorrow and we can start negotiations. I don't, I don't ghost write for free. That's really expensive. Yeah. I have one client and she's constantly, well, you should write my memoirs and you should write this for me and you should write that for me. And I'm like, talk to my agent. She's like, well, you just blew a wonderful opportunity. I said, I didn't blow anything. I'm not working for free. I'm not ghostwriting your stuff for nothing. It's not happening. It's just, it's, it's you the, for sticking with your guns. It's the audacity of it, though. I'll give you a really tiny idea. You spend hours over the next months, years writing it, and then we'll split the profits. And it's like, and yeah. you'll be doing what exactly? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. oh. But they that... came up with the brilliant idea. <laughs> It's never that good. It's never that good. (laughs) It never is. It's always been done before. Because if it was that brilliant an idea, they would already be, you know, with a publisher. (laughs) And the publisher would be getting a ghost the ghost writer and paying properly. Seriously. People. You mentioned something you said about breaks, because obviously breaks Mm -hmm. are so important. And I am currently in the middle of a sabbatical (laughs) that's taking me away from social media because, wow, that has just eaten too much of my time and energy and focus. And you mentioned having breaks because you're going to have burnout. How you 
plan your breaks to make sure that you stay fresh and productive and all that jazz? Well, I try and I've been bad about it during during the pandemic, but I, I usually try to have one day a week where I'm completely disconnected from the internet, not on my phone, not on social media. I usually it, it winds up being on a Sunday, but it doesn't have to be. I can write if I feel like it, but I don't have to. I don't put that pressure on. And it's a day that that I'm disconnected. I don't talk to people. I just, you know, I do whatever. Yeah. If I need longer breaks, I make sure that I clear off all my deadlines and that I'm ahead on my deadlines and I give them enough lead time. So if somebody has to take over for me, um, and then I usually give them suggestions here, you know, so-and-so would be really good for the next three months for this. And if they want to keep so-and-so, that's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Because they're, you know, they'll, they'll, those, they'll always be other work. And you just, you plan it. And again, it's communication. You let people know, this is, I'm on this kind of a break right now. I'll be back when I'm back, you know, and, or check emails. You know, I, I had to do that with the surgeries. You know, I would put my out of office on going, okay, I'm out of office for these many days because of surgery. I'll be checking email after that because I'm not going to be sitting there half, <laughs> half out of my mind in anesthesia fog answering emails <laughs> and making decisions. In fact, with this last time when I went right before I went under anesthesia, I had to sign something saying I wasn't going to make any legal or financial decisions for 48 hours after the surgery. They now make you sign that in the hospital. So I thought that was pretty fun. And I was laughing and laughing and laughing. And then the next day, somebody got in touch with me and they're like, oh yeah, and you should, you know, and, and you know, this is only for this day. And I was like, at first I was like, okay, well maybe I should jump on it. And then I remembered that I'd signed that. And I was like, no, you know what? I signed this thing in the hospital. <laughs> And then when I thought about it another day, I was like, I don't really want that. (laughs) But yeah, you know, it's planning because you're basically, you're planning your vacation. Even if you're not going to travel or be necessarily physically out of touch, just because you can be in touch doesn't mean you have to be. Yes. And this, this whole, what I'm hoping, one thing that we've learned from the pandemic is that we don't have to be on 24-7. Yeah. You don't need to get in touch with me at two o'clock in the morning and expect an answer. (laughs) Just don't. It's not that important. You know, your idea for the marketing campaign can wait until nine. It's still (laughs) going to be there. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's the problem with technology. It has, I mean, I love technology, not, not bashing technology, but it has made this connectivity constant. So it's like, if you miss a text, it's like, oh, you didn't answer. It's like, I was driving. I was in the shower. I'm not taking my phone in the shower. I'm not answering the phone while I drive. I don't need exactly. to. And it's never an urgent thing when they're like ringing or emailing and chasing. It's like, it's yes. never something so urgent that they couldn't wait until a normal time. Exactly. And the fact that they, they're worried they can't remember it, it's write yourself a note. You know, just write yourself a note, send me an email, I'll get back to you. You know, I do the, the business protocol, I get back to you in 48 hours. And again, it's boundaries. It's boundaries, 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 boundaries. You know, you have the commitment, you have the, you have the organization, but you also have to have boundaries because if you let somebody once, if you're like, oh, it's not that big a deal this time. Well, next time it's going to be a bigger deal. And they keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And I mean, you can see that, you know, in the politics, certainly in the, in the United States, you know, since Reagan, we've been letting things go that we should have been pushing back on and look where we are now. We could have avoided this if we had pushed back on Reagan in the 80s. 
<laughs> and not let him get away with it because that's where the seeds of all of this were planted. I think especially what you said like boundaries because like I have a business and it's international so I, I sell to anywhere in the world and but obviously you've got time zones so like I am yes. in the Northern Ireland so my time zone is um, well, it's BST at the moment since it's British Standard Time and that and you'll still get people contacting you from other countries obviously they're in their normal time but they're like they'll send a message it's like 1am at my time and then 20 minutes later we haven't heard from you and it's like well it says everywhere you know what my time zone yeah. is when I respond just because you're in a country or you're doing something that's your it's your normal working hours doesn't mean everyone else's working hours are correct you know we're not just global to the point where we're online 24 7 everything's fine yeah. contact us all the time it's like no you're so right boundaries it's like no I and then you need to hold them so tight because it's easy to to, to like oh well yeah this person was getting upset so I'll respond straight away and then that person now thinks well they're always going to respond every time exactly and you know now with more and more remote companies the really good remote companies understand about different time zones mutually acceptable times for you know meetings and whatever but you know the companies that are saying well you have to be available on our time all the time it's like no i don't honey i need to work for you. <laughs> well, that's, that's um one of the few pieces of advice I got when I first started freelancing and I was looking for a way on how to get clients and how to get jobs mm -hmm. and things like that. And it said, if you're going to run a freelance business, you need to respond to people's emails like right away. Just have your email on your phone. And as soon as you get a request, you respond to it. And I'm like, I don't want to be at a family barbecue and be <laughs> on my phone responding to an email. And the reason for that being was because they were like, people are going to search for different freelancers and whoever responds first and is quicker, they're going to go with that person because they want to get the project rolling right away. And I'm like, but that's just not realistic. No, it's not. You know? It's not. And the companies who want that are also going to always lowball you. They're not going to pay you what you're worth. Whereas yeah, the right. companies who understand about reasonable times and time zones are also going to pay you better. So it's better to get rid of those lowballing clients who want immediate response get rid of them right away you don't need <laughs> yeah you really don't because let's face it everything we do needs content everything yeah everything yeah. we interact with every business needs content so there's always going to be more work out there it's not always easy to find especially right now but there always is going to be more work out there and you want to get rid of the people who aren't worth your time as fast as you can because that leaves more room for the people who are worth your time that's true because also you need to kind of think what you're going to say too like if Absolutely. you tell people i'll respond within 48 hours that gives you time to read their email and then simmer over it for a day or so and just mm -hmm. decide, do i really want this how should i respond to this and you know yeah and to really come up with a proposal or a response that shows that you've taken the time and can give them what they're looking for or that you've decided you're not the right person for the project but maybe you'll recommend somebody else you know who would be right for the project mm -hmm. you know an instant response doesn't mean that you're going to be able to deliver good work right so, true you know you you get clarity for what you want and need out of your your writing life and then you go after it <laughs> yeah <laughs> like like I said, you have to be a little ruthless in it. And sometimes that means telling people no. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so hard to do for some people. 
Yeah. I think especially if you're young or you're new to it, it's so instinctive because yes. you think, well, I may not get another chance. Nobody might want me. I have to take every possible chance. And it's like, actually, it's, a, it's an idea not to, you really should be discerning even at the beginning, not just like, absolutely. I'll take everything. And especially now with technology, you can create your own platform and you can, you know, if you get a little bit of training in SEO and, and you can sprinkle in those keywords and you start bringing your own sites up in the rankings, people will start finding you. Oh yeah, definitely. Although you have to keep an eye on the SEO because they're always changing things. So I feel like, I feel like my SEO training is just constant. <laughs> Absolutely. Because you don't want SEO word salad. You want it to be organic so that the right people find your site. Yes. You know, people who actually will get something out of it. You don't want it just to be whatever is the top, <laughs> the top trending word. <laughs> True. Yeah. Because <laughs> in six weeks, it'll be way down at the bottom because everybody's over it. You know, like the whole, <laughs> we're all in this together. It's like, oh, shut up. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Okay, I think on that, I think this is a, a nice place to, to end the episode. <laughs> I think we've covered lots of topics. We want to thank Devin for joining us on the show today. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your work? Okay, I'm Devin Ellington. I am a full-time writer. I publish under half a dozen names in fiction and nonfiction and articles and marketing writing. And I'm an internationally produced playwright and radio writer. I have worked on Broadway backstage as a dresser for many years. And I've worked in film and television production as well. I have a bunch of different websites and most of them feed off the main Devin Ellington work. It's www.devinellingtonwork.com. And the, every series that I write has their own website and they all feed off that main one. Uh, I also, my business writing site is called Fearless Inc. And that's www.fearlessinc.com. I have a blog called Ink Dipped Advice about business writing. And I also talk about the different services that I offer and mission-specific entertainment and blogging and content and creation and all that. And then my main blog on the writer's life is Ink in My Coffee, which I started in 2003, which is a really long time ago now. <laughs> and that's uh, on WordPress and that's HTTPS, DevinEllingtonWordPress.com. So all of those are the main sites and then they feed off into everything else. And you can that. find me on Twitter. <laughs> hey, everyone's where I found you. <laughs> so thank you for having me as a guest. It was a lot of fun. It was really, really a lot of fun. No, it was. It was brilliant. We love it. We love it. Thank you so much for joining us again. And to everyone else, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Do let us know how you yourself manage time as a full-time writer in the comments or on Twitter using the hashtag TheVeryWriterPodcast. If you want to get some extra content, head over to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash TheMerryWriterPodcast. You can support our show and get yourself some great rewards. Tune in next week for another episode of The Merry Writer Podcast, where we ask all the right questions. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 This podcast is brought to you by Sticky Notes. Our walls are covered. The music titled Inspired is by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons 4.0.